I have really loved this series this summer, looking at Old Testament biblical characters, seeing what we can learn from their lives and their relationship with God. As a history book, the Bible is incredible. It is written by over 40 authors, over 1,400 years, and covers about 4,000 years of history. And amazingly, all these things connect from cover to cover. Only God could have been the author. The history recorded here, too, in the Bible has been authenticated by numerous and various extra-biblical writings and continuing archaeological discoveries. It says to me, we can trust the Bible. But it's so much more than a history book. It's God's revelation to us of who He is and who we are and His great love for mankind. His plan to love us and to save us because he knew we would need saving basically from ourselves. This is called his redemptive plan. This plan is a progressive one and it's unpacked layer upon layer through the pages of scripture. God didn't put us on the earth and then sit back in his lazy boy chair twiddling his thumbs, seeing what would happen. He knew in his sovereignty and in his omniscience, which means he knows everything, he knew we would need saving. Listen to these few amazing scriptures that show us God's plan of salvation from eternity past. Peter says, God chose him, Jesus, as your ransom long before the world began, but he has revealed him to you in these last days. The writer to the Hebrews, and yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. Even before God created us, he loved us. And he wanted to be in relationship with us. This was plan A, not plan B. And today I want to look at, at this in terms of how God relates to us as our covenant God. As I unpack for you this term covenant, you will clearly see that the love of our covenant God is truly unbreakable. It may be a new term for you. You've maybe heard of the Old Covenant, the New Covenant. Maybe you've heard, if you have roots in the Christian Reformed Church, you would have a richness of exploration in the realm of covenant theology. No matter what you know or don't know today, it's okay, because uh, it's always great to learn new things. I love learning. Like the time, although sometimes learning can be embarrassing, <laughs> we were at a Blue Jays game and we were waiting for the game to start. And I was just looking over at the bleachers and noticing all these people had um, letters about this big and they were J's and they were blue. Can you guess what I said? Yes, I said it out loud. Why do all those people have blue J's? Oh, never mind. <laughs> I figured it out. <laughs> Sometimes new things can be costly. Those of you who know me will have a little trouble thinking me capable of doing what I'm going to tell you, but I was caught speeding. Unfortunately, it's true. Fortunately, after speeding school and a little fine, I'm a much better driver. Unfortunately, I am not a very good passenger because I find it very difficult not to say anything to the person who's driving about their speed. Fortunately, I have not gotten any more tickets for speeding or otherwise. Unfortunately, though, I am still working on my control issues. Larry often says to me, how do you think I ever drive without you? 
and seriously, I don't know how he does. <laughs> you know, I wrote this first about 11 years ago, and uh, I'm still working on this <laughs> control issue. <laughs> so, all that said, relax. I'm going to be sharing a lot of scriptures today to unpack this term, covenant. And it's in the pages of scriptures that we see covenant defined. What difference does it make that we understand God as our covenant God? To answer this question will be my objective today. This word covenant is used 298 times in the Bible. And everything that God does with man is based on covenant. Andrew Murray, who spoke to the people living at the end of the 1800s, had this to say regarding covenant. Blessed is the man who truly knows God as his covenant God, who knows what the covenant promises him, what unwavering confidence of expectation it secures, that all of its terms will be fulfilled to them, what a claim and hold it gives him on the covenant-keeping God himself, to many a man who has never thought of the covenant, a true and living faith in it would be the transformation of his whole life. Do you get a sense of the strength, the promise, the security that truly knowing God as your covenant God can give you? Yes, to understand God as your covenant God can truly be life-changing. It continues to be life-changing in my own life. So, to answer that question, let's start. What difference does it make? And we're going to look at the book of beginnings, Genesis, where we find the first mention of covenant. In Genesis 6, God establishes a covenant with Noah. By this time, God, or man, has corrupted their ways, and the Bible says that it broke God's heart. But Noah walked with God. When God decided to put an end to all on earth, he came to Noah and said, But I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives, Bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female, into the boat with you to keep them alive <clears throat> Excuse me, during the flood. After the flood, God reestablishes the covenant in Genesis 9. Yes, I am confirming my covenant with you. Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. Then God said, I am giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is the sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth. So you see here that a covenant is defined by a promise like a binding, strong contract. God promises to keep Noah and his family safe. They don't have to stay up night worrying, is there going to be another flood of that magnitude? No, God said there wouldn't be. Covenant also involves a sign. Here it's the rainbow. When a rainbow appears, it is a reminder to us of God's promise. But did you see in the text? It's also a reminder to God of the promise that he made to all mankind. How beautiful is that? And it is an everlasting, eternal covenant. This 
aspect of covenant is so significant because it lets us know God remembers and that he can be trusted. Do you think that this truth could be important to your life? We just need to believe it. We need to claim it. Now, covenant is not mentioned in Genesis 12, but it's inferred, and we're introduced to a new character, Abram. God tells him to leave his country, his people, and his people's household, and to go to a land that God would show him. And listen to this promise. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. God says, I will, five times. Sounds like a covenant. God, again, is the initiator. And listen to the promises. Abram will become a great nation, and the whole world will be blessed through Abram's descendants. Abram doesn't know what it all means. He doesn't know where he's going. But he has faith in his God. He obeys God, and he goes. This is all that God desires, our obedience and our trust. What does it mean that the whole world will be blessed through Abram's descendants? Let's look in Galatians in the New Testament. It's an absolutely fascinating text where the Apostle Paul says, What's more, the scriptures looked forward to this time when God would declare the Gentiles to be righteous because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, All nations will be blessed through you. Wow. <laughs> this good news refers to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is one of Abram's descendants. And the fact that not only Jews, but also Gentiles, all nations, are recipients of it by faith in God's promises, just like Abram. And this was given around 2000 BC. Just think about God's plan, his eternal love from the beginning to all mankind. Is he trustworthy? Does he do what he says? Absolutely. And he eventually does make Abram into a great nation. It just takes a while. <laughs> just keep listening. The next mention of covenant is in Genesis 15, verse 18, where it says, So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. You can read chapter 15 for yourself. I'm just going to tell you what happens. And it is, some of the scriptures are mentioned in the little booklet that you maybe have received for this uh, series. But um, the night before he receives that message, God approaches Abram and tells him to look up in the sky at all the stars. Now, of course, there weren't skyscrapers around Abram at the time, so he was able to see the huge expanse. He could see all the stars. And God tells him that his offspring will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. A little hard to believe because Abram and Sarai are childless and Sarai is barren. And then God promises him land, that text I read, the land he's standing on and more. Now, what would you say to this promise? I would say exactly what Abram says. And the text says, he, he says to God, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? Then God tells Abram to do something quite unusual. 
to us. He says, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, very specifically three years old, and a, a pigeon and a dove. Abram kills the animals. He cuts them all in half, except the birds, and he lays them opposite each other on the ground. This procedure is making a covenant. Extra-biblical writing at the time in the Hittite culture would validate that covenant-making like this was much a part of their society. Abraham likely knew about this, and he knew what to do with the animals. So the next night, Abram falls into a deep sleep, and God speaks to him a prophecy regarding his descendants, which actually does happen, but 400 years later. And then Abram sees a smoking pot and a flaming torch, and it passes through the pieces of the cut carcasses. This is the sign of the formal covenant which God makes with Abram, solemnly confirming all of the promises that he's made to him. And it's the answer to Abram's question, how can I be actually sure? Well, the smoking pot and flaming torch represent God, represent also his unapproachable holiness. This visible assurance was to Abram the promise that he could be absolutely sure God would keep these promises of child, having children, and also the land. God was doing it. There's one more thing I'd like to note here. Our, our English word for make a covenant doesn't really give the full impact of the phrase. In Hebrew, the word means to cut. So literally, it means to cut a covenant. And as we see here, it is how a covenant was made. Animals were cut in two to ratify an agreement. There is blood spilled. A sacrifice of life is made. Well, as we continue, Sarai and Abram are both wondering, when is God going to begin acting on his promises? I think I'd be wondering too. Would you have trusted God and waited for his timing or taken things into your own hands like Abram and Sarai did? God said they were going to have many children. So, let's figure this out. Sarai goes, I will offer my handmaid to Abram. That's what God must have meant. Neither one of them waited for God's plan, and the result was the birth of Ishmael, which is another story. Abram is now 86 years old when Ishmael is born, and they wait another 13 years to hear from God again. And I get impatient when I have to wait a day or two for something to happen. In chapter 17, God says to Abram, I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham. For you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you, and I will give the entire land of Canaan, where you now live as a foreigner, to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever and I will be their God. And then there's the sign in verses 10 and 11. 
This is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. You must cut off the flesh of your foreskin as a sign of the covenant between me and you. Again, in this passage, so clear, God is the initiator. God establishes the covenant. There is the addition of a name change for Abram. He is now Abraham. Sarah, Sarai gets a new name too. Her name is now Sarah. And this, there are scores again of repeated promises and confirmed promises regarding children and land. I also love how this covenant affirms that God will always be their God, no matter what. Something new here is the response that God asks of Abraham in keeping this covenant, and it involves circumcision, which would be a sign of the covenant. The terms are simple. Abraham would obey God and circumcise all the males of his household from that time on, and God would keep his part of the covenant. After more waiting, the story continues in verse 21, where God says, But my covenant will be confirmed with Isaac, who will be born to you and Sarah about this time next year. Finally, the waiting is almost over. God is faithful to them, and Isaac is named and born, just as God said. And just as God said, Abraham is obedient to God's request, and Isaac is circumcised at eight days old. What significance is there in this? God initiates the covenant relationship with us. He wants to be in relationship with us, and all he desires from us is our obedience and our trust. The next period of history, which happens about 400 years later, concerns Moses, who is now leading the massive nation of Israel out of their bondage in Egypt to the promised land, the one promised in the covenant. Here God gives them the law, the Ten Commandments, also known as the Old Covenant. And in Exodus 24, Moses shares these laws and regulations with the people. They build an altar and then they sacrifice young bulls as peace offerings to God. Moses sprinkles some of the blood on the altar and some of the blood on the people. As unpleasant as this seems to us, Moses says here, look, this blood confirms the covenant the Lord has made with you in giving you these instructions. Then Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel climbed up the mountain. There they saw the God of Israel. Under his feet there seemed to be a surface of brilliant blue lapis lazuli, as clear as the sky itself. And though these nobles of Israel gazed upon God, he did not destroy them. In fact, they ate a covenant meal, eating and drinking in his presence. Wow, <laughs> lots in there. Let's first look at that aspect of sprinkled blood to confirm the covenant. In order to understand this layer of what covenant means, we have to understand God's view of sin. Remember God's redemptive plan and our need for salvation? Our sovereign, holy God condemns sin and the sinner and judges him worthy of death. But also remember, God loves us so much and he accepted the sacrifice, the death of an animal, to cover the sins of his people and to cleanse from sin. 
And so the sacrificial system of the Old Covenant, mentioned in the Old Testament all through, is inaugurated as the blood is sprinkled on the altar and on the people. There is the promise of sins covered and God's presence is with them in the tabernacle, the movable temple at this time where the priests would continue to make these sacrifices daily and yearly as they journeyed to the promised land. There would be continuous sacrifices to cover their sin. And did you notice the mention of the covenant meal with eating and drinking to ratify the covenant? There were also many other feasts of remembrance that the Israelites had every year to commemorate and remember all the things God had done for them. The significance of all this, God has done everything to provide a way for us to be in relationship with Him, a holy God. Also in this chapter 24 of Exodus, two, there's two verses which say uh, the people are responding, saying, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will obey. Well, history shows that they didn't do everything that God has commanded. And before we point out our fingers at them, we as well are not able to do everything the Lord has commanded. God knows this. He knew it then. He knows it now. And that's why God's plan of redemption includes the new covenant, the covenant of grace, where Jesus becomes the blood sacrifice once for all. Let's fast forward to the New Testament in Matthew, and here's Jesus with his disciples. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread, blessed it, and then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples and saying, take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. The same words that Moses spoke in Exodus. He goes on and saying, It is poured, his blood is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Clearly, covenant talk, eating, drinking, remembering blood, a covenant is cut and Jesus' body is broken for us. Hebrews 9.22 reminds us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. This is what the law, what God requires. And this is why Jesus had to die and pour out his blood as a sacrifice so our sins could be forgiven. The beautiful thing is Jesus only had to die once. What a promise. And because of Christ, we are judged not guilty for all eternity. When one of our grandchildren, Caleb, was five years old, he said, Mommy, we should pray for God so that he won't have to die again. Well, there is good news, Caleb. Good news for all of us. Jesus died once for all, and not just for Jews, but for Gentiles too. Remember, all nations will be blessed through Abraham, and Jesus is of Abraham's seed. Do you see how the covenant theme weaves its way throughout the scriptures? The Old Testament, the Old Covenant law, contained external rules and standards, which were necessary. The New Testament talks about this Old Testament law being like a tutor 
or a coach to show man how to live at the time until Jesus came to replace it. This new covenant is so qualitatively different. It gets inside us. And it's amazing. The prophet Ezekiel spoke 500 years before Christ about the new covenant. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. And you will live in Israel, the land I gave your ancestors long ago. You will be my people and I will be your God. There's that phrase again. Ezekiel brings these words to the people as Jerusalem is being destroyed by Babylon, the nation that God chose to judge his people. His people had been disobedient to their covenant. They had strayed from their God in following after other gods. They acted independently of God. They knew this would happen, but chose to ignore the warnings of the prophets. They chose to ignore the love and the presence of the God who only wanted to be in relationship with them. It's truly amazing, for even as God is bringing down punishment on them, through Ezekiel, he's promising them, the remnant of his people, this new covenant, a better one, one with a new heart, one with God's very spirit within them. It's the covenant that is ours to claim as well. The promises are sins forgiven and the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. And the signs of this new covenant, Jesus' death once for all, blood spilled once for all, and the covenant feast of communion, which is the reminder of all that we have in Christ as we partake of the bread and the wine. And the significance to us is vast. This covenant is not based on fear and human effort, but on God's grace, his forgiveness, freely given, not earned or worked for. It is not one with limited access to God's presence and guidance, but unlimited access. And we are given full and eternal life because of what Jesus has done. There is one more covenant story I would like to share with you, and it's the covenant between Jonathan and David. And why I want to mention it is because there are some wonderful comparisons to our relationship with Jesus as our covenant partner. And the text in Samuel says, And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David, together with his tunic, his sword, bow, and belt. By giving David items that symbolized his official status as the king's son, Saul's son, and crown prince, Jonathan symbolically gives David the right to the throne. This involves an exchange, and David here symbolically puts on Jonathan. When we believe in and receive the Lord Jesus Christ, we are actually becoming Jesus' covenant partner. We are putting on Jesus. Listen to Galatians 3. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. 
Colossians 3, 12 expands on this. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Being in covenant with Jesus means we are chosen, holy, loved, and we are to be like Christ in kindness and love and humility in our relationships. We wear Jesus. We wear love. And we have his nature in us through the Holy Spirit, which he gives us when we believe. And this helps us want to obey him. You perhaps have heard this story. It's about a soldier who is caught running away from the battle. He's brought before Alexander the Great, his commander, who asks him what his name is. And when he says, my name is Alexander, sir, Alexander the Great says, change your behavior or change your name. Do you see how this can apply to us as believers? Do you know who you are and what you have in Christ? Do you know what, that you are his child, his friend, a new creation, forgiven, reconciled to God, victorious? You are royalty. You're a priest. You are holy and so much more. This is a lot to live up to for our name, Christian. But the awesome truth is that it's not something we need to keep seeking. It's who we are in Christ when we believe. We just need to claim it. I love it that Jesus puts us on too. In Philippians 2 verse 7 it says, Instead, this is Jesus, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Do you think Jesus knows how hard it is to be a human being and to live as a human being? He became like us. He struggled with the same things that we do, and he overcame. We can too. Remember, we have a covenant partner, and he's living in us. His name is Jesus. Well, there's the exchange of the tunic, the sword, and the bow. And this symbolizes the obligation of the covenant partners to fight for each other and take on each other's enemies. Jonathan warns David numerous times when his father Saul is coming after David to kill him. They would have gladly, as covenant partners, given their lives for each other. Our covenant partner, Jesus, gave his life for us so that we could live abundantly now and eternally. He fights for us, and we can fight for him. A few weeks ago, in preparation for this message, I was trying to think about where the scriptures talk about us fighting for God. And then one Sunday morning, Hannah, one of the summer interns, was giving the devotional for those of us who were serving and welcoming for that day. She read the whole of Psalm 139. Now, it's a psalm I'm quite familiar with, but there was something in there that I had never seen before. There it was in verses 21 and 22. David says, O oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred, for your enemies are my enemies. Covenant conveys a strong loyalty to one another, which our culture doesn't do well. And how can I fight? 
for my covenant partner, Jesus. I can fight his enemies who are Satan and the world system. I can fight for keeping in check pride, the love of money, selfishness, and my waywardness and my desiring to have, be independent from God. All things that are, can be enemies and divide us from, from Christ. And remember, he's fighting for you as we can fight for him. The belt holds the weapons in place and therefore symbolizes the man's strength. When exchanged, it symbolizes the giving of strength one to the other. God is always ready to strengthen us. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. And in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 12, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And how do we give our strength to Jesus? Mark 12, 30, And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Well, I've hardly scratched the surface of this topic. It's so rich, and I didn't even touch on the Davidic covenant, which is also quite important. We just don't have enough time. But we do need to look at the answer to the question, what difference does it make that we understand God as our covenant God? And I'd like to look at four different areas of our lives in which the covenant promises will make a difference. And my challenge for you is to identify one or more of these areas and then claim them, claim the difference it makes for you to believe in your covenant partner. So one, number one is the area of trust. Do you feel that you can trust God with your life, your future? Think about Noah. Think about Abraham and how God kept his promises to them. Here's a New Testament promise that Paul mentions in Philippians 1.6. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ returns. You have a covenant partner and you can trust him with your life. You are not alone. Number two, the area of identity. This is a big one. Maybe you need to think carefully about who God says you are. As a believer and as Jesus' covenant partner, your identity is now in Christ. You are a new creation and the wonderful things that he says about you. There is no place for shame or doubt about who you are. Claim your identity as his child. Number three, in the area of strength to overcome, maybe you need to realize the power that you have in Christ, the power to face temptation, because 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Remember, temptation is not a sin. What you choose to do with it can be. You have a covenant partner who has provided a way out, and I love it. He's faithful. And don't forget, when we do sin, because we will, 
John says in 1 John 1, 9, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful, there's that word again, and he's just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. There is power and strength in the shed blood of Christ, power to cleanse. A covenant has been cut for you. It is serious. Because of the cross, there is grace and there is forgiveness. No place for shame or guilt. We just need to claim it. And then in the area of God's love for me, can you believe that God loves you? You may think it's just a children's song. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But it is not just for children. We need to believe and receive that love for us. And can you believe that God's covenant love is unbreakable? Some synonyms, can you believe it's indestructible, long-lasting, everlasting? I love Isaiah 54, 10, because it really sums this all up. God says, For the mountains may move and the hills disappear, but even then, my faithful love for you will remain. My covenant of blessing will never be broken, says the Lord, who has mercy on you. Walking with our covenant God doesn't mean that he will take our problems away. Not at all. In this world, we will have trouble. But don't forget, Jesus has overcome the world. The law, the old covenant, was meant to be kept. But the new covenant promises are meant to be claimed. What promises are you going to claim today? Maybe one of these four areas you need to claim. Make it a matter of prayer. Then believe it and claim it. And you know that you can trust your covenant partner. Let's come before God in prayer. Our God, we thank you for being our covenant-keeping God. We thank you for everything that you've done. Because everything you have done has been for us, your children. You were faithful then, and you are faithful now. Help us to stand confidently in your unbreakable love for us. And as we sing together this closing song, may we hear you saying to us, I am your faithful God. I am your covenant partner. Amen. And here's a benediction I'd like to share with you, it's from Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.